Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Remember, we talked about how, how Rebecca, if she didn't get off the camel, she would have said, well, it's about time. This is such a lousy place. I wish I was back home. No, she didn't have that attitude. But the attitude that Isaac has is that let's do the same illustration that we did with Rebecca. Let's do the same illustration and imagine what attitude Isaac might have had if he did not walk in the field to meet them. If Isaac didn't walk in the field to meet the Rebecca, then Isaac might have just sat there and said, you know, I'm a man. I don't walk for any woman. I don't kowtow to any woman. I don't, I don't get taught by any woman. I, I'm, I'm not about to make a fool out of myself by losing my head for any woman to go meet her. A woman's supposed to serve man, not man to serve the woman. Let her come to me. She needs to learn from the start who's the boss here and who's gonna serve who. She's gotta be trained well from the start. I'm not gonna go serve any woman. Now, if Isaac did not go out to meet Rebecca and made those kind of statements, what kind of attitudes would Isaac have had? Selfish, arrogant, what? Proud, and if it's been in the refrigerator too long, spoiled, swollen with pride, stuck up, snobbish, intoxicated with his own self-importance, with the same bad attitudes that Rebecca would have had if she didn't get off that camel. So again, what's the opposite of all this? Ungrateful and unappreciative and unthankfulness? Grateful, appreciative, thankful, What's the opposite of that spoiled attitude, arrogant, proud, stuck-up, snobbish, conceited, humble, meek? See, the message Isaac would send of of whether or not being or not being grateful, appreciative, thankful, humble, and meek, it all came down to whether or not he's going to get up and go and walk to meet Rebecca. And so Isaac wanted to so send such a clear message, like Rebecca wanted to send so such a clear message, she catapults herself off the camel. And so Isaac, he just starts walking when he meets her. And we put the two together. Now we've got Rebecca's message of obedience and submission, throwing herself off the camel. Isaac's message of love and service and walking in the field to meet Rebecca. We see a picture, beautiful picture of what is the ideal husband-wife relationship described for us in Ephesians 5, 24 through 25. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. See, it is this wife submitting herself and obeying her husband, and it is this husband loving and sacrificing himself for his wife that makes for a peace and a harmony and especially a unity in the home. And when God sees that unity in the home, he says the same thing he says in in Psalm 133. He says, "Mm, can't believe it. Behold, everybody see that down there, that that home, how good and how pleasant it is for them to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious ointment on the beard that that, that ran down upon the beard and even Aaron's beard into the skirts down down of his garments. It's like the dew of Hermon the dew that descended from the mountains of Zion, and then he says, for there, there, that place, the Lord commanded the blessing, 
even life forevermore. God sees the wife submitting herself and obeying the husband. God sees the husband loving and sacrificing himself for his wife. And he says, this is so good and pleasant. He says, he says, he said, I, I, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to command a special blessing right there. A special blessing. I'm going to command the blessing. Now, we see something in verse 65, what Rebecca does next. It says, for she, she, she found out that it's the servant, that it's the master. And, and, and says, therefore, she took a veil and covered herself. Now, here we see that as soon as Rebecca learns that it's Isaac, she takes a veil and she covers herself. And, and, and it's, it's, and now, I don't know what you think of when you read this. You know, do you, remember you, we got to the point where did Rebecca just sort of gingerly and gracefully get off the camel? No, she catapulted herself off. So here we have, she's putting a veil. So now the same question. Does she sort of, you know, very ladylike take a, you know, a, I um, <laughs> can't remember the name. Okay, no, no, anyway, does she take one of those beautiful scarves and just sort of wrap it around herself in just the perfect way, you know? Is that what she does? So this is interesting because the word is kasa. It's used to describe how she put this uh, veil on and, and what she did. So when it says she covered herself, she covered herself. It's the word kasa. And now that's used, that same word is used to describe how Tamar covered herself with a veil to make herself so unknown to her father-in-law. Well, listen along, Genesis 38, 13 through 15. It was told Tamar that, behold, thy father-in-law goeth up to Timnath to shear his sheep. And she put her widow's garments off her and covered her, kasa, with a veil, wrapped herself and sat in an open place, which is, by the way, Timnath. For she saw that Shelah was grown and she was not given to him for wife. When Judah saw her, he thought her to be a harlot because she had covered her, her face. She had kasa covered her face. See, when Tamar kasa covered her face with a veil, her identity was so hidden that Judah thought she was a harlot. And because Tamar's face was so effectively kasa, hidden, Judah has no idea that this is his daughter-in-law that he thinks is a harlot, and, 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 and it describes how effective the kasa covering hiding was. It, it, it describes a complete hiding. He ends up making a baby with her. Doesn't even know it's his daughter-in-law. It's, it's interesting, the same word kasa is, is used in, in Proverbs 28, 13, where it says, he that covereth kasa, his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaken them shall have mercy. When a person refuses to confess, refuses to forsake his sin, he's like taking a veil and wrapping them up so effectively as to make them totally unrecognizable, totally unseen. This shows us that, that there's a time when we should not kasa. We should not cover our sins. See, our deceitful heart says to us, you know, about our sins, it's not so bad. I mean, you know, lots of people do that. I mean, just cover it up. Who's going to know? Move on in life. And if we do that, it's a sure way to not go on with God, to not move on with God. See, to come to a dead stop, as the Bible puts it, to not prosper. So the word kasa is used to describe what we should not cover, which is our own sins. There's an account in Scripture that illustrates the kasa covering of sin and the uncovering of sin. And that apart was when Saul was told that, that when he goes and conquers the Amalekites, he should kill all the animals. And so in 1 Samuel 15, where the account is, in verse 13 through 14, Samuel came to Saul and Saul said unto him, blessed be thou of the Lord. It's very spiritual. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And, and that's what he said. And, and Samuel says, 
Well, that sounds very good. But Samuel said, what meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the ox which I hear? He says, you know, there's something wrong with my hearing. And, th- and then after Samuel told Saul in, in, uh, in verse 23 of 1 Samuel 15, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he also hath rejected thee from being king. Then Saul says to Samuel in the next verse, Saul said unto Samuel, I've sinned. I've transgressed the commandment of the Lord in thy words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. So see, when he's confronted, he, he sort of transitions from covering to not uncovering his sin. Now, now what's, the, what's the first covering of sin in the Bible? It is Adam, right? Right. It, it's a, it's the, and, and, and you know who identified that especially was Job. Job did in Job 31, 33. He said, if I have covered kasah, my transgression, transgressions as Adam by hiding my iniquity in my bosom. That's what he was saying. So, so what do we read in, in, in Genesis 3, 7, 3? The eyes of them both were opened. They knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. They heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden of the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. See, this is what we see here. See, they, they hid themselves. They, 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 they hid themselves. And then what happened? Then God had to come to Adam and say, you know, well, what, what, uh, what goes here? And he says, it's not me, it's my wife. And she just, she, she's the problem. She's everything. More hiding. But what's the second covering of sin in the Bible? Second instance of man covering his own sin in the Bible. That's right. That's when Cain killed Abel. Right, and Cain killed Abel, and so then what happens? So, so, the, the, so he kills Abel, and then, and then in Genesis four, the next chapter, in four and verse nine and ten, the, the Lord said unto Cain, "Where is Abel thy brother?" And he said, "I don't know. I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? No, you're you're your brother's brother." But anyway, he says, "I don't know where he is. Am I my brother's keeper?" And he said, and then the Lord said, "And what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground." See, when he said, I know not, am I my brother's keeper, it shows us how we have this propensity to want to cover our sins and just think we can get away with it. We think God's stupid. You know? When we, when we kasa, cover our sins, we do what it says in, in, in 1 John 1.10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. His word's not in us. If we kasa, cover our sins and say we haven't sinned, we make him a liar. When did David try to cover his sin? With Bathsheba. Right, David tried to cover his sin when he just kind of went on in life and never, never acknowledged it, never named it, never repented for it. And then there was something that happened to David, and he describes it in Psalm 32. He describes it in Psalm 32, verses four through six, where he says, for day and night, thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer, Selah. Well, just, just stop a little bit, think about that. For I acknowledged my sin unto thee and mine iniquity have I not hid. I did not kasah. I said, I'll confess my transgression unto the Lord and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Think about that a little bit. To cover is going to have, it's going to feel God's heavy, heavy hand day and night like an intolerable weight of guilt and shame. Selah. Stop and think about that. I feel it's to, it's to feel a dryness in the spirit, no joy, no happiness, no receiving from God. 
deadness in the spirit. Selah, think about that. He looked at himself and he saw, my happiness is dried up. I'm like a moisture. I'm like the moisture in the plants as it's gone into the summer and the desert. You know, I feel like a tumbleweed in the desert. But it all changes in verse 5 with the words, mine iniquity have I not hid. Kassah. I didn't kassah my iniquity anymore. It all changed when he stopped kassahing and hiding his sin. He stops this kassah. He stops this hiding his sin. And then he says in verse 5, I acknowledged my sin unto you. I called it what it is, sin. Mine iniquity have I not hid. I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. And then it all changed. And he says, Selah, think about that. So the Bible tells us that there is a time when we should not kassah. We should not cover a sin. It's when our sin. But the Bible also tells us that there is a time when we should cover a sin. When is that? When should sins, when should we cover sin? Right, right. And that's quoting from Proverbs. And so as it says in Proverbs 17:9, he that covereth, kasah, a transgression seeketh love, but he that repeateth the matter separateth very friends. See what that's talking about? Kasah is not to repeat. He that gossips a matter, it separates very friends. Kasah is not to gossip. See Proverbs 10:12. Hatred stirreth up strifes, but love covereth, kasa all sins. See, God wants us honest. He wants us transparent. Therefore, we are not to cover or kasa our own sin. But God wants us to be loving. Therefore, we are to kasa the sins of others. Honesty and transparency does not cover our own sins. Love covers the sins of others. The difference between when we cover and do not cover is all tied up in that word, his, he that covers, he that kasa, his sins shall not prosper. Now, when we kasa or we cover the sins of others, then we're like God, because it's exactly what God does with us. He covers our sins. See, we just considered what happened to David when he tried to cover his sins in Psalm 32, 3 and through 5, but the first two verses above that, Psalm 32, 1 and 2, start off by saying, blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is kasa, covered. Blessed is the man unto the Lord, Lord imputeth not iniquity, in whose spirit there's no guile. And today we see the Jewish people, what, how do we see the Jewish people today? Rejecting their Messiah. God says about them in Psalm 85, 1 through 2, he says, Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land, Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven their iniquity. Thou kasah, thou coverest all their sin. Selah, he says, think about that. So there's a day coming when for the Jewish people will be brought, will be brought back and God is gonna kasah, cover all their sin. See, God's in that business. He's in the business of covering. He's in the business of kasah when it comes to sin. Just as Rebecca, kasah, she covered herself in this very complete way with this veil to hide herself so God covers our sin under the veil, under the veil of the blood of Christ. See, in Ephesians 2.13, it says, but now in Christ Jesus, you are sometimes were far off or made nigh by the blood of Christ. We're made near by the kasah, covering of the blood of Christ. Colossians 1, 12 through 14, we're to give thanks to the Father because he's made us partakers of the inheritance in, of the saints in light, because in verse two of Colossians, verse 13 of Colossians one, he delivered us from the power of darkness. He translated us into the kingdom of his dear son and we, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. See, we've got forgiveness, we've got inheritance, we've got, we've got translation to the power, from the power of darkness. 
We've got, we've got redemption. We, we, we've got forget all this because of the kasa, the covering of the blood of Christ. So when we see in verse 65 that Rebecca takes the veil, covers herself, then we see this, this hiding of our sins that God does for us, and, and then we see what we're to do with others. Now, after Rebecca has hidden herself by covering herself with the veil in verse 65, we read what Eliezer does in, in verse 66. The servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Now we see the stage clearly. And we see here, there stands Isaac, and in front of him, there stands Eliezer, and over there that we see Rebecca, and she's hidden all up with this veil. And with Rebecca, she's kasai hidden. So she's all kasai hidden, and, and the servant is telling Isaac all the things that he had done. Now, you know, you can, and when he says the word for tell, the word safar, in other words, he's enumerating by listing, let me do this first, this first, this first, in chronological order, everything that happened. And as you can imagine, the word things is another word, things, but it's the word debar. So, he, so he's, he's calling the, the debars, and, 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 we, and we already studied that, that means critical issues. So what we see, what we have here is Eliezer is enumerating, listing one by one the detailed critical issues from his trip that, that's really detailing for Isaac how God has chosen this woman to be his wife. Now let's just freeze that scene a little bit in our minds of Eliezer going all those critical issues one by one, chronological order to show Isaac this is the woman, God's choice. And there we see Isaac in that scene and he's listening carefully. He's trying to understand from Eliezer how God has indicated this is the right choice. And there's Rebecca and she's all cassad covered up, you know, from hidden from view. And what we see is because Rebecca is covered up and hidden from Isaac's view, Isaac can listen to what Eliezer's got to say. You know, we, we, know that Rebe- we, we know what Rebecca looked like. Isaac didn't. But we know what she looked like because we're told that in verse 16. It says the damsel was very fair to look upon. She, you know, Rebecca was no eyesore. You know? <laughs> she was a DDG, you know, drop-dead gorgeous. Anyway, so Rebecca's physical beauty, though, was hidden from Isaac. So he could focus on how God was showing that she's the right choice. See, if she wasn't covered, then, you know, Isaac might not have heard a word of what Eliezer was saying. You know, he might have said, you know, said, can you just step aside a little bit, you know, and, just, uh, you know, and he'd say, mm-hmm, camels, right, you know, drink, drink, right, God from God, yes. You know, he'd be just totally distracted looking at this woman's beauty. I mean, you know, but, but you know, and then, you know, yes, Eliezer, I, I did hear you. Yes, I'm understanding what you're saying, yes. <laughs> he would have, Isaac would have been on a different cloud, you know, her, her physical beauty has a way of pushing God out of the picture. You know, that's why it says in Proverbs 31, verse 30, favor is deceitful and beauty is vain. A woman that fears the Lord, she'll be praised. And God warns men, he says, he says in Proverbs 6, 25, lust not after her beauty in thine heart. And outward beauty has brought down many a man. Solomon's the unfortunate example of that in Scripture, as it says in Ecclesiastes 2.10, whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld uh, not from my heart from any joy. And this was Solomon's downfall. And this was also Samson's downfall, as described in Judges 14, 2 through 3. It came, he came up and told his father and his mother, and she said, I have seen a woman in Timnath, the daughter's Philistine. Now, therefore, get her for me to wife. Bad way. Then his mother and father said unto him, there's no, no, good, no, no women in the, your people. And he says, get, get her for me. She pleases me well. And then it says, Samson went to Gaza and saw there a harlot, went into her. Verse four, came to pass, he loved a woman in the valley of Sark, whose name was Delilah. See, Delilah, or Delilah. 
Delila means languishing or frail. It comes from the word dalal, which means weak or dried up. So Delila, you know, she she kind of she appears to be so weak, so languishing, so so frail. I mean, here's big Samson in control. She hunted for his precious life. She conquered him. She brought him down to being no more than a piece of bread. As it says in Proverbs 6.23, for by means of a whorish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread and the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. All because Samson let a physical beauty distract him from God. See, that's why it's described real beauty in 1 Peter 3.3-6, whose adorning let it not be the outward adorning of the plating of the hair and the wearing of gold and the putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart. That's beautiful. The hidden man of the heart. Ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which in the sight of God is of great price. After this manner, an old time holy women also trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husband. Recently, my single friend was telling me about how he thinks he's met his future bride. And, and I tried to advise him, you know, but I'm, I'm not sure I got anywhere. You can't talk. You know, it's like, you know she wasn't kasa. You know, she wasn't. Anyway, so, but, and I tried to tell him, I, you know, I said, you know, look at her mother to find out what she's going to be like. <laughs> look at her relationship with her father to find out what her relationship is going to be with you. But, but not Isaac, see, because, because Rebecca, she's covered, and so Isaac could listen to Eliezer enumerate all these things. Now it says in verse 65 that Rebecca, that Rebecca was covered, and he's not distracted, so he could absorb everything that Eliezer was saying, all the critical issues, and he comes to the conclusion, this is God's choice, so what does he do? He takes her. In verse 60, 67, he brought her into his mother's tent, took her Rebecca, she became his wife, he loved her. He was comforted. So he realizes from an objective third party, Eliezer, this is God's choice for you. He's disqualified from making that evaluation himself. Now it says here, he loved her. See, those three words are so important. He loved her. All marital problems would be instantly solved if the couple would just love each other. He loved her. He loved her. So many marital problems would be solved if just one spouse loved the other one. He loved her. He loved her means that Rebecca became the object of his love. You know, Isaac was a loving, affectionate son to his mother. And so Isaac becomes a loving, affectionate husband to his wife. It just works that way. What a man has been to his mother will be likely how he'll be to his wife. And that's why I advise single men, look at how the woman treated her father. Because that's probably how she's going to treat you. So I, I told him, I said, ask these questions. If you, what is the thing you loved about your father? What is the thing you didn't like about your father? If you had anything to change about your father, what would it be? And I said, take notes and then just substitute in your mind you for father. <laughs> That's the way it's going to go. And, and, and then we read that he was comforted after his mother's death. And we see how the word death is in italics because it's painful. It's not in the Hebrew. It's painful. Doesn't want to, it's painful here. Because, and now there's a wonderful change that's happened in Isaac. And this is what God means when he says in, verse, in, in Psalm 30, verse 5, his anger endures for a moment in his, in, in, in his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. And in Ecclesiastes 7, 14, Solomon said, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. But in the day of diversity, consider God hath also set one over against the other to the end that man should find nothing after him. What does it mean? God allows a good day 
God allows a bad day so that we are not left in a place where we can predict what's going to happen because it's all unpredictable. But there's one thing that is predictable and there's one thing that is sure and that's what God wants us to know. That's the faithfulness of God. That's what's sure. That's what's predictable. Whether or not you can have a good day tomorrow or a bad day tomorrow, that's not known. He'll set one against the other as he did here in the case of Isaac. The storm passed over and a good day came when, when uh, Rebecca came into his life. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being our faithful God. Lord, everything else fails around us, but not you. And so, Lord, with that confidence, we tell you this morning, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Starting September 25th, join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher Tom Cantor in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship.